Good morning, everyone. Hope you're well. Nice to see you here with us. Uh, just before I begin, we just received some new copies of the latest versions of the Jesus film. And this version now has three films in one. So it is the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene in eight uh, languages. So there's a, there's a copy there at the back as you exit for every one of you to take it. Uh, and this is a great opportunity for you uh, to spread the story of Jesus to someone. They are blanketing uh, Orlando, Tampa, and New York City. How about that? Um, today with these. So let's pick some up and let's be part of, of that plan as well. Amen. All right, we are in uh, the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we are on the last two verses of the final discourse that Jesus has uh, with the Father. As you know, I told you that I, I've come to believe that this is the greatest uh, chapter in the Bible. Good to see you, Phil. Uh, and, and so as we, as we come to see Jesus praying to the Father, about the disciples, praying about his relationship with them. In these last two verses, Christ is going to be praying to the Father about his relationship with the disciples in the future. Uh, and since we are his disciples, he's praying about his relationship with us today. So if you would look at verse 25, Matthew 7, uh, John 17, verse 25, Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What powerful verses we have here as Jesus outlines his relationship with us to the Father. Uh, and it's, it's so meaningful. And so he, Jesus is now speaking about his ministry with us uh, and about the ministry that the Father had given him and the fact that from the, the very creation of the universe, it had been determined that Jesus would come uh, and be the sacrifice that would allow us to, to be with God. Uh, and so now he's talking about his future ministry. Uh, and as he's doing this, he's saying to, to the Father, uh, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. And so Jesus stands in contrast to the world. The world refuses to recognize God, uh, and at the same time, it refuses to recognize Jesus. But Jesus stands in opposition. Just to show you the continuity of this, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 10. As it speaks about Jesus, he was in the world. And though the world was not made, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And so Jesus is in the world, he has come in human form, but yet the world did not recognize who he was, fully God. Uh, and so Jesus is saying here, uh, I told them who, who you were, Father. I revealed them, I revealed you to them through me. And so as we study this, one of the things that we learn is that Christ uh, is performing a function based on what God has given him to do. Uh, he has performed 
an intermediary function for us, meaning that through him, we know God. We cannot know God unless we know Jesus. The only way we know God is through Jesus. Jesus effectively is that mediary. And so in terms of the knowledge of God, Jesus has the immediate, immediate knowledge of God since he's God himself and was there from the beginning. Our knowledge of God is mediated, mediated through the intermediary of Jesus Christ. And so this all becomes important as, you, as we close this final discourse, as Jesus praying to God about his, his relationship with us and his future. And you need to know that this is only about three or four days before Jesus will be arrested. So I want you to think about the love of Jesus Christ and love of God, knowing that this is about to come down on him, this horrendous experience of being arrested and tortured and dying on a cross in the most ignominious of ways. And yet even at that moment, he's praying to the Father for us uh, and, and our relationship with him. And so he goes on to say here that I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. And Hayes alluded to this this morning, and I want to make sure I nail this down for you, that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, at that moment when you reached out in, in utter desolation and said, God, help me, God, help me, at that moment, God reaches across eternity and, and saves you at that moment and seals you with the Holy Spirit. And in your heart and in your spirit, God implants the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that you have part of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ within your heart. Can I get an amen for that? Let's understand what that means. That means wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever comes your way, Jesus Christ's spirit and the love of God is within your heart, within your soul. That means that you should never go through a period of desolation and despair because you have to recognize that he's with you. He's walking with you, uh, and, this, and he is surrounding you. And so many of us have forgotten this, uh, and, and it's almost as if uh, we have spent the, the balance of our lives turning down the experience of that spirit within us. You understand what I mean. You were saved. God seals you. You have that spirit within you. And then you've spent the rest of your life, many of us, turning it down, turning it down. I don't want to look like a flake. I don't want people to think I'm a holy roller. I got to live in a golf community. I got to go out with people. I want them to think I'm a zealot. All right. And here's what I'm going to tell you today. I want you to think of this. I want you to turn that pilot light all the way up and then pull, pull it off. Pull the switch off so you can't turn it down so that you're on full blast. And what does that mean? It means that now you will have an insatiable desire to read the Bible. You'll have an insatiable desire to study God's word. You'll have an insatiable desire to come here and be with God's people and to, and to affirm him in every way. And as you do this, it's an amazing uh, uh, statement that God makes. The more you do this, the more he pours into your heart. The more he fills you up and the stronger you will become and the, and the better Christian you will be and the more people you will be drawn to. 
to, to you because of this. This is what Jesus is praying for. He is in you. When I read this and I come to understand that Jesus is in me, that the spirit of Jesus is in me, and many of you are saying, I don't know, John, I don't, I don't really feel like I have the spirit of Jesus in me. Well, the reason is that you squelch the spirit. He's in you, you're saved, but you've spent most of your life tamping it down. And so what I'm telling you today is that you need to say, Father, bow your head and say, Lord, I recognize you've given me this gift of salvation. I recognize what you've given me. I recognize your spirit is in me. Father, bring it to a head. Help me to get on fire. Help me to, to bring others to, to your love. And so that's what this is about. And so this continued work that Jesus is praying about, this promised work that Jesus is indicating here, is being brought about through the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. The sad comment is many people in the church have no idea what the Holy Spirit is about. But you are different. I spent six weeks with you teaching you about the Holy Spirit, right? So if I asked you a series of questions, I know you would know it. But if for some reason you may have forgotten that, just go back, all right? If you go back over the past several months, there's about a six-week period of time where I taught the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that all of this takes place. Jesus didn't leave the world and abandon his disciples. Jesus would never do that. He spent his life making his disciples, bringing his love to this world. And so as he exited this world physically, uh, the Trinity gave the Holy Spirit, which effectively is the spirit of Jesus Christ, God himself, to come into the hearts, come into the hearts of the believers. And so turn, if you have some question about that, turn to John 14, John 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him. And we, underline that, we, the father and the son, will come to him and make our home with him. How about an amen for that? You understand? God the father, God the son residing in your heart with you every day of your life, in your heart, uh, because you've accepted Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' departure from this world does not have as its goal the abandonment of the disciples to a solitary position. None, none, nothing like that at all. His goal is to sweep us all up uh, to the Father that the Father has given us, sweep us all up to keep them uh, within his fold, within his arm, as he... As he resides within our heart and, and, his, and his love and the love of God the Father exist within our hearts. Uh, and so this becomes an important mark of understanding this. So let's understand this. The greatest mark of the church is love. I will repeat that. The greatest mark of the church is love. And that's what these two verses are all about. It is with this same thought uh, in mind that Jesus has previously spoken about the other marks of the church. And, you know, we talked about that. Jesus uh, spoke about joy, uh, holiness, truth, mission, and unity, all as the essential marks of the church. We've spent the last number of weeks going over this. But now in this last and final prayer, 
of the final discourse of Jesus in John chapter 7, he focuses on the love, the love of the Father and the love of Jesus being implanted forever in our hearts. Uh, And so it becomes critical for you to understand this. Uh, And so I want you to turn to John 13, verse 34. We'll start with 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I told you now, where I am going, you you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And there it is, the final mark of the church, the greatest love of the church, the mark that binds everything together, the thing that causes us to stand out in contradistinction to everything in the world, love, the love of of the Father, the love of Jesus Christ that he's given you in your heart, that you have within your body, and now he tells you to use that and to love one another. Uh, And you know, it's funny because there's a verse that says that we are to be a peculiar people, And I was so glad to hear Hayes talk about legalism this morning, in which he said, in which I said it loudly as an amen. It's not about following the rules and regulation. It's not about the movies, all right, or about the makeup or the dances, all right, or about the drink or about any of those exterior manifestations that churches all over the world make lists of. None of that will make you righteous, None of that will make you righteous. The only thing that will make you righteous is exhibiting the love of God, having the love of God come out of you so that you can uh, embrace the lost world, that you can embrace people so that people will see that, yes, indeed, they're peculiar. It has nothing to do with their physical manifestations. It has everything to do with the fact that these people love the lost. They love each other. They embrace each other. Uh, I was recently told, as an example of this, that there was a recent news story about a church in Michigan that had gone through a number of pastors. They had frequently hired and fired their pastors. Now they had recently hired a new guy, and on the day that he was supposed to preach, as people are walking into church, there was a homeless guy standing outside with a long beard, raggedy clothing, carrying a can. And as people were going in, and it was being filmed by news agencies. As people were going into the church, people were pushing this guy out of the way. And the deacons had warned him, you know, this is not a place for you to come. We're going to church on Sunday. We don't want people like you here today. And being pushed and shunned and being treated in a terrible way. And so as the service was about to start, this guy comes around the back of the building, takes off the beard, takes off the raggedy clothes, puts on his clothes, walks up to the pulpit and says, I am your new pastor. And what I just saw was a disgrace. How about that? Satan. Uh, I just saw was a disgrace. I saw how you people exhibited love for the lost. And here's the entire sermon today. Go home and think about what you did. Go home and think about what you did. And when we come back next week, we're going to start uh, a sermon series about love. And they said that the congregation was filled with people repenting and crying and recognizing how far out of God's will they were. All right? Listen, 
We all have a part of that in our heart. We all have a part of that in our heart. But listen, this series is is focusing on the fact that we are different than the world. That when we see misery and pain, that our hearts break, that we reach out to people and bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's the commandment, love one another. Uh, And so this is a love that's very different from any love that human beings would understand. And in fact, it was so different that when they translated the New Testament in Greek, they had to find a different word to express this love. And they came up with the word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape love, meaning divine, sovereign, holy love, not self-centered. You see, folks, this is the way we love as human beings. You love me, I love you. As you love me more, I love you more. But all of a sudden, if all of a sudden you start going down in your love towards me, my love meter towards you goes down. You understand? I'm only going with you as long as you're with me. Uh, And you see this in so many ways. Uh, And so you have to understand God is not like that. God loved us even before we were saved, even as we were uh, revolutionaries in effect, shaking our, our fists at God. God still extended love because Jesus died for you. He died for you even when you didn't love God. You see, that's truly the love of God, that, that, that unequivocal type of love. Uh, and so God, that's what God has given us. He has given us this, and this is what he wants us to demonstrate. And so I, I want to focus on this aspect of love that, that Jesus is praying about here. And I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is often called the love chapter, as Paul speaks about love. And this is a, a, a reading that I will do often when I marry people, um, because I think it's so appropriate. Um, and verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What does that mean? It means even if you have been given a gift, even if you have been given a gift, if you do not have love within your heart, then that gift will not reach fruition. All right? You may have the greatest gift of rhetoric, the greatest gift of charisma and speaking, but if you're not loving people, if you're not exhibiting the love of God, then you might as well sit down because all you are is nothing more than a public speaker. You're not speaking on behalf of God. He's not interested in that. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have love, have not love, I have nothing. Oh, man. Wow. This is serious stuff as you understand how important to God love is. And how Christ has told us that his love and the love of God has been vested inside us. Verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So even if you say I'm giving away everything that I own, 
All right, I'm, I'm putting it all away. And yet you don't have the love of God in your heart. It's of no consequence. You see how everything, everything in our lives is dependent upon love. Um, and one of the things that I realize is this. I realize that why do so many of our marriages wind up in failure? It's because we don't have the love of God in our relationships with our spouses. We have succumbed to the world model where the world model is, I love you as long as you love me. And all of a sudden, you're not so lovable anymore. You understand? Maybe you're a little older looking. Your hair is getting sparse. You got some wrinkles, okay? And then you start looking at me with that look, you know, and I know what that look is. You know what this is about. And so what happens? All of a sudden, these relationships fall apart. Why? Because we've succumbed to loving people the way the world defines people. It's called lust. You understand that? It's not the love of God. God expects us that when you look at your spouse, when you look at them after, I don't care, 75 years of marriage, when you look at them, you should see Jesus. How's that? And so when somebody says something that might not be so kind, as it happens, or looks at you the wrong way, and it happens, I want you to look at that person and see right next to them, I want you to see Jesus Christ looking back at you. Oh, John, oh, oh, that's, that's tough. And that's how God wants you to be. That's the love of God, even as he causes your tongue to be sealed up so that all the stupid things that are in your head that you'd like to say are all stopped dead in your tracks. So you look at this, at this message here and you see the power of love, the power of Jesus Christ and God the Father residing in our hearts. This is what makes us peculiar. This is what makes us different. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. By the way, I want you to know this. I'm preaching to myself. All right? And the more I preach to myself, and about myself, the better preacher I am, is because, frankly, anything that bounces off me might be bouncing back at you. But I'm not preaching to you. You got that? I'm preaching to me. And when I see this, love is patient, I feel like falling on my knees right now. Because if there's one major deficit in my life, it is I have zero patience. There are people in the congregation patting their spouses on the chest right now. I, I have zero patience. When I came to Naples, one of the worst experiences was going to Publix. All right? I couldn't stand sitting in the line and watching people go through the register. And five items would take an hour. And I'm losing my mind. I can't believe this. Or driving a car in Naples. Somebody said, in Naples, you have to have one hand on the wheel and the other hand on the horn. <laughs> Can't put two hands on the wheel, all right? Because we have no patience. And so, Father, I've prayed to God to give me more patience because I recognize that patience is part of love, all right? You're not impatient with people if you have, some, if you have love. And so God is speaking to that. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Let me speak to these issues. All right. When we were younger and when we were reflecting on our careers and what we were doing, I submit that many of us had the occasion to boast about ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I'm a smart little boy. <laughs> yes, I'm a smart. I worked awfully hard. 
I worked awfully hard to get ahead. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. Come on, you know this story. It was only when I recognized, truly recognized, that everything that I was, everything that I had, every gift that I had was given to me by God. I didn't do a thing. He gave it to me. And as Christians, you folks have to recognize that as well. That is why we can never boast. We can never be prideful. Honestly, put your face in the dust. Thank God that he gave you the gifts that he gave you. Thank God that he allowed you to be where you are. Thank God that he's allowed you to be in Naples. You are effectively in the Garden of Eden in the United States. All right? You should get up every day and thank him. Don't go back and say, oh, yeah, God, oh, I'm glad I saved a lot of money. I worked hard, and now I'm getting my just desserts. Oh, don't ask for your just desserts. <laughs> Let me warn you, don't ever ask for justice, ever. Ask for mercy. And that's the point of this message, that Jesus is preaching this to us about the love of God. This is all about the love of God that Jesus is putting in his disciples to tie us together for eternity. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. That's who we are as Christians. We don't seek ourselves. We're not self-centered. That's why our marriages should last, because it's not about satisfying ourselves. It's about satisfying our spouse, looking and saying, what can I do for you? What can I give you in kindness? What do you need? How can I affirm you? Not about how you can affirm me. I mean, really, think about it. This is what makes us different from the world, that every day of our lives, we look to serve others. We look to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, and here it is to me again. He's preaching to me. It is not easily angered. That's right up next to patience. <laughs> again, John is preaching to himself. All right? Not easily angered. And that's, here's the deal. And, and what I have found in my life is that the more I've submitted to him, the more I've turned it over to him, the more he has sanded me down, the more patience I have, the less, uh, anger I, the less angry I become, the less explosive I become as I recognize that I am a vessel that he wants to use to bring others to Jesus Christ. And the last thing I want to be is a stumbling block. The last thing I want to be is to have some guy say, hey, wait a minute, aren't you that guy? Aren't you that guy that's on the radio? Aren't you that preacher that's on the radio? I told you the story that I was down at the Fifth Avenue coffee shop last year, February, and I would go there every day and would walk into the register and, and just walk up and get a coffee. And now because of the influx of, of, of these people from the north down there, the line was now out to the sidewalk. <laughs> out to the sidewalk, and I'm standing like a schlub in line waiting to come in. It's like 20 minutes. And what's worse is there's guys... Jake, pardon me on this. There's guys dressed in bicycle suits that ride their bicycles, all right? And, you know, I call them these sausage suits, and they were in line in front of me, all right, in these very tight sausage suits. And now I'm getting angry because I'm looking at these people in sausage suits lined in front of me, and first of all, I can't fit into one of those. So they're in front of me as it is. They're lining up in front of me, and now I'm, I'm trudging forward. It's taking like 25 minutes to get a cup of coffee. And finally, as I get near the register, near the register, one guy in another sausage suit goes running up to his pal in front of me and gives him a list 
of an order of like 10 things. Here, order these things. That did it, that did it. In the name of Jackie Gleason, pow, zoom off to the moon. So I said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. And so I suck a breath and I'm ready to launch a missile. And believe me, when it comes to verbal missiles, there's very few that can launch them as well as I can. And he turns around and just as I'm about to explode in anger, he looks at me and goes, John, we love your Bible study. Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord Father. We love your Bible study. And that's when I understood the phrase, lead me not into temptation. Okay, you understand, lead me not into temptation. That's when the love of God comes into your heart and you recognize it and you see it and you're tempted. And so you understand this. And so you see this. These, these verses on love are so powerful. Uh, and, and so it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, well, I've forgiven, but I have not forgotten. Oh, yeah, that's right out of the Bible. That's biblical. No, love keeps no record of wrongs, meaning that with the love of God, with patience and love, uh, as you forgive, you forget. You forget the slings and arrows that have been put against you. Because look at Jesus. Look at how on the cross he could pray for those who were crucifying. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the kind of love God wants you to have. It's in you right now. You don't need anything else. You just need to recognize that it's within you. And it's God to exhibit it to you in in such a way. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. Love never fails. How about an amen? amen? Love never fails. This is what Jesus is praying about, that the love of the Father and the love of the Son are invested in you, are tying you together, that you will recognize this, that we will be tied with Jesus, that he will be with us, in us, a part of us through the Holy Spirit in every day of our lives, in every breath that you take, in every episode of your life. I don't care where you go. You go to the doctor and you get a bad bad diagnosis. You need to pray to God, Lord, fill my spirit with your truth. Help me, Father, to protect me, affirm me, and he will never disappoint He will never disappoint. He will never walk away. That's his promise that he will lead you there. So love becomes the key catalyst for the church. All right? The key catalyst for the church. And I'm not talking about a church as in a church denomination. I'm talking about the universal church of Jesus Christ. Love is the key catalyst. Why do I say that? Well, we've talked about the marks of the church. But here's the thing, loving God the Father leads to joy. Why? Because we rejoice in God and what he has so overwhelmingly done for us. How about that? That's how we get joy, because we love God. And as loving God, our joy is bubbling up. We love, love for the Lord Jesus Christ leads to holiness. Why? Because when we recognize that Jesus has led a pure life and that he resides in us, 
then we want to emulate him in purity. And so it, uh, it causes holiness to rise up for us. We know that we will see him one day and we want to be as pure as he is in, in that regard. What does love for the word of God lead to? Well, it leads to truth, meaning what? It means that you recognize that God has spoken to you through scripture. And so the only way you get the truth of the word of God is to be in scripture and to read your Bible and to study your Bible. And that is how you begin to love the word because you recognize that, you understand that. It, it leads to a fuller appreciation of God's truth. What does love for the world lead to? What does love for the world lead to? Well, it leads to mission. Because your hearts are broken when you know that there are people who are lost and do not understand the love of Jesus Christ. And so your heart burns for that. And so as your heart burns for that because of mission, because of that love, that's how God leads to missions. And so we have a message that must be taken to the world. Uh, and what does it do? It binds us together. As we love each other, we are bound together in unity. We're in here in this group, in this congregation, and we love each other. When one of us loses a spouse, we all hurt. We all are burdened. We all pray. We all come together. When we have the celebration of life services, we all show up. Why? Because we love each other and we are unified together. We do this not because anybody has commanded us to do this. We do it because Jesus Christ resides in your heart and it is the love of Jesus that forces you to do this in every aspect of your life, even when it comes to giving, all right? We're not miserly. We're not sitting there with a ledger going through every dime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I got a dollar. All right, Jesus, here's 10 cents for you. I'm keeping the 90 for myself. And we keep a strict ledger. You understand? We got that ledger going. This is mine. All right, I'll give you this. And what happens? Is that love? Is that love? That's legalism. You understand? All right, you took that from me. That's yours. Instead, here's the spirit that should fill your heart. Lord, you've given me everything. It's all yours, Father. I don't have anything. I'll do what you want. I'll go where you want. Lord, I'll give what you want. You tell me, Father, how I should do this. Now, he's not going to tell you to make yourself destitute. Don't be silly. Just like told you that some brothers in the early class on Mondays have told me that they're afraid to submit to God because they think they'll be on a boat to Africa. God wouldn't do that to the Africans. He loves them too much for him to send you, all right? He loves them too much for him to send you. But you see the importance of recognizing this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and him, him recognizing that his love is, is in us. Uh, and so uh, we're not talking about the kind of love that the world knows. This is not a love of equipoise where you do this and I'll do that back. We're on an equal status. This isn't that kind of love. This is a love that loves the unlovable. This is a love that loves the lost. All right? That's the kind of love we're talking about. This is a love that survives the slings and arrows of life. All right? In every possible way. It's, an, it's, a, it's a love that abounds far greater than anything that the world would ever know. This is precisely what Jesus is speaking about here. And Jesus is saying quite clearly, if we know God, 
we will know God's nature as being characterized by love. And that if we do not know love, then we do not know God. Turn to the first epistle of John. First John chapter four, verse seven. And here he is as an old man. He's probably now about 90 years old. At this point, he's most likely the last living apostle. I told you that he has already been boiled in oil and survived it. He's now, you know, so this is a guy who has seen the vicissitudes of the early church, and now he's writing to the Christian community. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Uh, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him, and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. So what does it mean? It means that God has demonstrated the most incredible love, that even when you are outside being lovable, even as you were lost, he loved you and sent his son to die on a cross for you with your name printed on his hand. That's the God of love, all right? So many of us in the world have this impression of God as a stern taskmaster, just waiting there for you to step out of line and squash you, hit you, knock you down. Instead, the word is that God loved you so much that he desired a relationship with you so much that he bankrupted heaven. He bankrupted heaven. He took God himself and put God himself on a cross, that's the nature of love. So here's the deal. If you find yourself not being a loving person, get on your knees and say, Father, I need to be filled with your spirit because somehow it has drained out of me. Somehow I have squashed it my whole life. But Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to submit to you. And so I ask you, Father, to fill me and refill me, and he will do that. And then get back into the word Get back into the study. Uh, get back into the Christian community that you're part of uh, and, and live the way he wants you to live. Listen, the ancients, here's what separates us. The ancients never had a God like this. If you go back in time and you study uh, ancient history and you will go back and look at ancient cultures, you will never see their gods being gods of love, gods of power, gods of destiny, uh, and so many gods of retribution. Gods of war, a God of love? What? What? No way. Because we have the one and only God of love. We have the only one, the only one of God. And so where does this revelation come home? It comes home on John three sixteen. You want to know where the revelation of God is? There it is. John three sixteen. In every way, for God so loved the world so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And the congregation said, let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. I thank you for this lesson, Father. I thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you have implanted us with the Holy Spirit, that your love resides in us, Father, and that Jesus' love resides in us. I ask you, God, to to help us today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us leave this place committed, Lord, to love each other and to love the world, to be the kind of people that stand in contradistinction to a world that only loves when we are loved back. But help us, Father, to love the unlovable. Be with our people. Bless them. Protect them this week. And bring them back safely next week to continue the the continuing study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.